So I think it's funny that we've recorded three episodes of Couchy Characters and we already have our lost episode because yeah. we recorded this episode back in September and then I lost it. Uh, what fell, it ended up in like, I don't know, file server hell or something that could yeah. not be found. So we're, we're re, we are re-recording our second episode. Yeah. I think it's probably where like lost socks go. Like, I think so. Like in the dryer. Yes. Somewhere there. Um, my guess is we'll find it a year from now looking for something else. And then we'll be at Backflip and be like, look! Here it is. Yeah, here it is from September 24th. And then we can compare them. We can. Because they, they won't be the same. No, they're not going to be the same. So anyway, I'll let you start today. All right. Well, hello. Um, Couch of Characters is a podcast, as we've said, wherein two therapists, Julia and myself, analyze movie, television, and book characters. This is for entertainment purposes only. No advice, interventions, or information should be applied or attempted in your own life. This is not meant to replace or supplement professional help. Information shared in this podcast could be harmful should you apply it to yourself, friends, family members, or people you interact with in your life. Please listen and enjoy. All right, so who are we talking about today, Madeline? We are going to talk about The Office, (laughs) mainly Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. And we're kind of going to do a little office therapy with these two characters. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, Yeah, let's just do it. Okay. So you go first. All right. Are you going to talk about your love of Dwight Schrute again? I will, like I did in in the last episode. So Dwight Schrute, I think, is one of the best humans alive, um, even though he's not real. And so is Wouldn't Rain. Would it be great if he was real? Yeah, well, and it would be great. And so, so I think Rain Wilson, who plays mm-hmm. Dwight Schrute, is another one of the best humans alive. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm almost glad that the episode was lost and we're re-recording mm-hmm. because I felt a kinship with Dwight. I've joked about how he's very erotic mm-hmm. with his mustard shirts. <laughs> My husband and I have joked about inviting him to join our family. Yeah. Um, we want him to be mowing the lawn with his mustard shirt. Yes. Like. But what's happened since then is I've seen, and I hadn't before, that Rain Wilson published a book. And so I'm a therapist now, but I was a bassoonist for a huge chunk of my life before I became a therapist. Guess who is also a major bassoonist and who features the bassoon on the cover of his book? Rain Wilson. (laughs) Who plays Dwight Schrute? So I think at this point, you need to write a letter and be like, you have some downtime. Are you in between shows? If you're ever in Wisconsin, please come to our house dressed up as Dwight. Yes. And make all of our dreams come true. And we and, and we you can play do, the bassoon. We could do a bassoon duet. So I thought that was kind of hilarious. Oh my gosh. There's something there's something some connection. There's there. some content yes. Oh, I'm that's hilarious. <laughs> so funny. One of the therapists I work with sent me a, a shot of the book cover and said, Wow, this is really you. So I said, Yes, yes. I am Rain Wilson. <laughs> That's good. I thought that was really funny. Yes. Yes. So well, tell me about Dwight now that especially yeah. now that you guys are, have been drawn closer together by sure. musical instruments. We have been. So so Dwight Schrute um, has a strange relationship with Michael Scott, who we'll talk about. Um, according to Wikipedia, Dwight Kurt Schrute the third was born January twentieth, nineteen sixty-eight. Um, he is just a character, even though I, we wish he was more. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the British version, he's played by Gareth Keenan. But he's one of the highest-ranking salesmen at the paper company where Dwight and Michael work in the office, um, Dunder Mifflin. And the series slowly expands on his character. He also runs a beet farm and a bed and breakfast. Um, if it were real, we would all pick to stay in the room named the irrigation room mm-hmm. that he has his guests sleep in. Um, there's lots of themed rooms. There's outdoor bathrooms. Um, it's a nine-bedroom, one-bathroom <laughs> farmhouse, which is great. Um, I'm surprised there's running water. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. I question whether there is. Yes. He also jokes about... I think he jokes about, or Michael teases him for, like, brushing his teeth with, like, mud and sticks. So, (laughs) which is really a great idea. Yeah. So, he basically, um, he sort of competes with another character, Jim Helpert, Mm -hmm. who's the audience's voice of reason, for power over the office. He, at one point, is a landlord, owns the office space. Um, And so, he has, at time, risen to the position of branch manager of the Scranton branch, which is a branch of, one of many Mm -hmm. branches of Dunder Mifflin. But he 
often is better at serving as sort of the second or third um, to the manager. There's a big joke about him being assistant to the regional manager, not assistant regional manager. He really struggles with independent thought. He does. It's interesting that you bring that up because he, there's several times where he tries to gain power Mm -hmm. and then it's almost, there's like, I don't know if it's self-sabotage, but then he realizes that like he wants Michael's love and to be in charge and he can't have both. Right. Yeah, so he, so he then shoots he a gun. Goes to num- <laughs> yeah, he shoots a gun in the office at one point while yeah. he's a manager. You're, yeah, so while being very independent yeah. and sort of self-serving, he's also very dependent very. on certain characters. Yes. So. Yeah. And he does spend the entire show trying to be in charge. He interviews for the manager position. Um, he gets demoted, I think, a couple times. Mm-hmm. One was for the gun incident. Um, and he's very attached to order and power. Um but then once in a while reports a sense of loneliness uh, or depression. Very rarely. Because yes. that's, again, a sign of weakness. So even mm-hmm. though he's internally feeling it, he's not going to admit it. Right. No, and then... Seems to be the alpha. He does. And then and he also is known on a couple occasions referred to... Um, he cradles a gourd at night when, he, when he's oh. having a darker night or a sadder night. So, yeah, but it's very rare and it's very hidden. Um, although Dwight acts superior to many individuals and is often resourceful in crisis, he's shown to actually be quite gullible and ignorant and naive mm-hmm. in addition to depending much on others. Um, he's easily tricked and pranked by Jim Helpert and sometimes Michael, who is really in this couple's relationship with Dwight, yes. gets involved in the pranking. Um, yeah, go ahead. He, yeah, the thing that's cool about Dwight, and this is why The Office in and of itself is such a great television show, is his character evolves and gets a little better. So he's he's more social, barely more social in the later episodes. But I'm, I remember the episode where he, um, where Pam's ex-fiance comes in and attempts yeah. to beat up Jim and he hits him with pepper spray and like how shocking that was to everybody. Um, and that does go to sort of this, I, the order of the world and, you know that complex that he has but like he he also when Angela breaks up with him and he's sobbing mm-hmm. is that when Jim and Pam are staying at his house that's one the, yeah that's and they're yes. like what was that howling and it's him crying over mm-hmm. so which everything they do then when he is showing any type of emotion is super creepy and weird um but he does evolve good for Dwight yes he does he can eventually have some secure attachments but just takes him a long time it does yeah yeah and to have appropriate boundaries with Michael takes a really long time. Really long time. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, in the episode, just a little more mm-hmm. about his character in the episode, episode called Whistleblower, he's encouraged to invest in real estate by the former CEO and owner of Dunder Mifflin, Joe Bennett. And he decide, and that's when he becomes a landlord and purchases the entire industrial park. And I believe he, like, removes plies from the toilet paper and puts all the lights on a timer and tries to control yeah. all the amount of, of money. Because they have to do they have the to, arm waving yeah. to get the lights to go on and off. They it's do. Right. In the middle in, of their work day. In the middle of their work day. And then they have, like, toilet paper dispenser and you only get a certain amount or something like that. Yes. Yes. And then he tries to start a gym membership in the building. But I think it's just, like, boxes full of paper that you lift and he tries to charge people. To, <laughs> Daryl, I believe, is the person he tries to charge for that. He also claims to remember his own birth, which is very interesting. <laughs> it's this idea that he's sort of in charge and in yeah. control of the whole universe. He can raise and lower his own blood pressure, I think it is, yes. or cholesterol. I don't remember which yeah. on command. Yeah. Um, he says he remembers his father delivering him from the womb and his mother biting off his umbilical cord. <laughs> in the episode of Grief Counseling, he states that he was a twin, but he reabsorbed, and that's a specific word he uses, his twin while still in his mother's uh, womb. And this is a real thing, I guess, called twin embolization syndrome or embolization syndrome. Mm -hmm. But now he believes because he's reabsorbed um, the twin that he has the strength of a grown man and a little baby. And he was born weighing 13 pounds and five ounces. Um, And then he claims to have rendered his mother incapable of walking for three months (laughs) and two days. And he also claims at one point to have performed his own circumcision. And he also claims that in the Schrute family, the youngest children raised the rest of the children. And then there's also the shun-unshun experience as a family that he had growing up. And how long was he shunned for? I, can't, I for, It was for a number of years. It was for a number of years over a very small 
sad. I think he forgot to he forgot to save like the oil yes. from a can. And he was he claims that it had been shunned for I can't remember what it is, but it's something like age years. five to seven yes. or something. Shun, so. unshun. Anyway, yes. It's Which so goes good. to what you describe as those early messages of independence, power, and control. Yes. That, yes, he has, he's got some issues with that. Poor Dwight. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we can unpack him a little bit. We can. Yeah. So as MFTs, we know it's important in family systems that children have their needs met by reliable caregiver figures within the family of origin. Um, so that it can teach them sort of later independence and in getting their needs met as an adult. So that's, I think, one of the cr- big crux of, of Dwight's issue is that while he craves independence and power and control, he never was taught how to get it in a healthy way. So he always, in an unhealthy way, is grasping for it and fighting people for it and then still feels very alone mm-hmm. and sad. So it's he never he was never taught sort of that his needs that he deserves to have his needs met. So he has all these convoluted ways of getting them met. Um, His upbringing suggests that he is no to very little experience with trust or stability beyond a rigid set of Mm pseudo-cultural rules set by generations of shrewds. Um, I say pseudo-cultural because they make jokes kind of about it being like coming from German tradition, but it's never really Mm -mm. hashed out. Mm -mm. Um, Probably to avoid like offending everyone. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Including farmers and Germans, yes. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it could be very offensive if they directly identify right. his lineage. Um, and all, sort of, all of the rules involve him being in charge of groups of people, having mm-hmm. to control his physical and emotional self, um, and surrounding his environment with rules. And I believe those rules are there to replace trust. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have that. Yeah. These aren't met. No trust is developed. I'll make a bunch of rules because I can't trust you yeah. about how to function. And then, like, along those lines, it reminds me as we're doing this again, is the, like, probably some of the isolation that the family experienced in the creation of those rules and then the stories that they tell about it. Like, this was our German heritage. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's just that you all were on this farm by yourselves for generations, and it was very weird. Yeah. You they know? had some weird practices. Some weird practices. That so. aren't, that aren't they're just like shrewd cultural. Yes, they're, exactly. They're, they're not necessarily, Mm-mm. yeah. Yeah, so interesting. And then what would create this? As an MFT, mm. that's what you want to know. Like yeah. what sort of, I mean, we know his needs weren't met, but we can look at his, his father-son dynamic a little bit. Um, and that doesn't need to be gendered, but that was the figure I think he sort of looks up yeah. to. Um, and I think his family was probably very uh, heteronormative, mm-hmm. gendered. He doesn't understand, like, homosexuality no, or sexuality he, at all, no, really. No, and so. much like a lot of things, he's very naive to some of those things, as yes. evidence to the episode where he meets Oscar's partner and he mm-hmm. thinks they're roommates and he yeah. doesn't get it at all, even though they're trying to out the one gay person at the office and he thinks he knows who it is, but he has no idea. No, he doesn't know. And then I, you know, I'm not going to say it out loud, but you need to watch his description. He, he describes how people have sex. Yes. Um, in an episode where Toby gives him like a puberty talk. (laughs) Toby is the HR director on the show and it's fabulous. Dwight's understanding, Mm -hmm. um, of how sex happens (laughs) is really great. Um, (laughs) And then, so the so the dad relationship for Dwight, um, his father used to take him hunting, cheated in games, um, and battled obesity, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. So it could be that watching his dad fight with with life and break rules and not meeting Dwight's needs made it so that he created his own rules as, as an adult and held people to these high standards that his father could never live up to. Because um, he sort of feels abandoned by his father, even though he never admits it. In Dwight 2, uh, or in season 2, not Dwight 2, DVD blue, bloopers, it's revealed that when Dwight was a child, his father would take him and his brothers in a, to a swimming hole on hot summer days at 10 a.m., and then they would work in their beet fields until well after midnight. So lots of work involved and in costume contest he sees that pam has dressed up as olive oil for halloween and he erroneously believes that she dressed up as his mother and tells pam that she's only <laughs> one third as beautiful only half her height and pam's a tall woman so the, he paints a picture of his mother as beautiful and powerful yes. basically yeah so and then interesting that he's attracted to the smallest woman in the office then yes. and angela and that ends up being as Although- their personality wise she's probably very much like his mother yeah she's so herself rigid and rule bound and like harsh she's a very harsh person yeah and things have to be a certain way and 
And she ends up not living up to her own no. standards. No. And has some has some affairs. <laughs> she does. That would be a whole other episode because yeah. she she um and so she really respects Dwight um because of her own like in some ways they're very parallel characters because she has her own set of rules and standards for people that nobody in the office ever meets. Right. Except for Dwight. Dwight, yes, until he kills her cat. Yes. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah, so that's, so that's mm-hmm. another theme you'd suss out sort of as an MFT is mm-hmm. that, so Dwight's really into these rules, this power, this control. Um, his family rules are about power and control. Um, no one in that family ever really lives up to them. And he sort of excuses that, but then he didn't really forgive it because he go he lives his whole life trying to get it back. Yeah. And he That's... his attattachment figure and lover Angela, as Julie Julia described, is reflects that. So mm-hmm. she can't she also can't live up to the mm-hmm. rules and they form a partnership. Mm-hmm. And break um, those rules because they're having an affair for a while, aren't they? Yeah, well they're or... so once they break up they can't stay up divided so yeah. they are there they have so angela has an affair with dwight while she's engaged to that's a different what character. i thought yes like to andy okay mm-hmm. and i yeah. think she actually when engaged and married to the senator mm-hmm. she continues her affair with dwight yeah. And, and yeah dwight and angela have sort of a love child for lack of a better term <laughs> that the senator thinks is his baby but it's not yeah so these the ironically the the people that hold up the highest standards for themselves that can never meet them tend to have a lot of skeletons on this show mm-hmm. a lot more than the people who are just honest about their shortcomings yeah. yeah cool so the fact that Dwight would have my oh another example so at one point um we look for this like bad not bad but just maybe boundaries that don't serve you in family therapy mm-hmm. sessions Dwight struggles with boundaries with Michael who is his boss all the time that's mm-hmm. the other character we'll talk about yeah. um he doesn't have great boundaries with with Michael he invites Michael to date his mother um and he sort of sees Michael as a father figure, yes. and it's interesting that he picked Michael to be his father mm-hmm. figure. Michael's very different from Dwight's yep. uh, biological father. Michael breaks a lot of rules and cheats a lot. Yeah. Just sort of with ethical rules like totally. Dwight's father. Yes. But in some way, and, and I guess pretends to be good with the rules, but Michael much more wants to be loved by people than Dwight's father would yeah. have. So just, yeah, and that's maybe an interesting, whether we discuss it here or later, was, is that idea of um, that re- relationship's really interesting. And so is it that Dwight, because maybe Dwight in real life, would Dwight have bonded to somebody like Michael or not? Like if you yeah. were going to follow that family pattern, he would be more, I say attracted, and I mean that in a father figure way, to someone more rigid in on the show, more like um, Stanley even. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really, there weren't really any characters like Dwight. He's really his only character yeah. of someone who is very um, rigid and would want to play to that. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but a, and it he, works comically. It's brilliant it for is. him to be. And it could just be the authority of it that. Yeah. Like, Mike, Michael's the boss and that's the ultimate office boss. authority. And, and Dwight really looks up, at, looks up to Michael as this sort of like God among men mm-hmm. in terms of like his goal in life is to be the regional manager. So you know, he, maybe that's where he socially struggles of being so blind to Michael's flaws. Yes. Because yeah. Michael's like, oh, God, he, to him. Mm-hmm. So he just overlooks all of that. So interesting. It is very interesting. Okay. Yes. And he, I think he does overlook all of Michael's flaws. Yes. There are a couple similarities mm-hmm. between Dwight's father and, and Michael, but it's, but Dwight's father is, again, not as, like, charismatic. But, um... An example would be Dwight's father presumably needed support with cholesterol and heart disease, as Dwight mentions that he had a problem with it. Michael needs support with burnt foot, um, clean urine during a drug test, covering up his facial herpes, and various bouts of heartbreak. Though more emotional than physical, he requires Dwight's undivided attention. I also mm-hmm. wonder yeah, mm-hmm. if Dwight couldn't his needs were never yeah. met the practice of meeting someone's needs wasn't part of his family mm-hmm. system does michael sort of correct that for him yes. a little bit like he gets to sort of nourish michael yes. but in a very masculine exactly hierarchical way yeah so that that's interesting and then yeah i mean we can talk about michael later but then it's like for michael then and this is where their relationship is so screwed up is that then for michael it's never good enough so so, you know, Michael wants the attention from Dwight and Dwight gives him literally his undivided attention and will do anything for Michael. And yet it's never good enough. 
And I don't know if that it's that the threat of the relationship with my, with Dwight's father is like he's allowed to caretake Michael, like which he maybe was never allowed to do with his father. But then the criticism is that it's never good enough. And so that's what draws Dwight into Michael is so yes. still never good enough. So now he's this little boy still trying to get daddy's attention and he's at least getting dad's attention in Michael. Mm-hmm. But it's never good enough. Yeah, it's never good enough, but probably far more affectionate far, oh, than the way more. Attention. So that's very motivating behaviorally for Dwight because he's getting, allowing, he is, like you said, someone is allowing Dwight to care for another person. Yeah. Michael that's lets true. him care for him, and he never really, doesn't sound like he was able to do that in his family. Yeah, and in the arc of the story. So Michael helped Dwight. I think he kind of, oh, in, no. the, in the arc of the story yeah. too, Julia, Dwight doesn't have a semi-normal relationship with Michael Mm-mm. until Michael marries Holly, moves away. Right. In the last episode, Dwight's marrying Angela. Yes. So they sort of reparent, reparented each other yeah. and then were born again to, to launch yes. off to families beyond yeah. the office. Yeah, so, and almost like both of them, we've been, you know, like it took both of them to get secure attachments Yes. To then be available enough to each other to then have a healthy relationship. With other people. With other yeah. people. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, and that's a good point. So. Yeah. And with that, we're done, everybody. No, we're just <laughs> no. We've got to get to Michael. <laughs> yes. Well, and we can, there's just so, some more funny Dwight go, facts. Yeah. If you want to hear go them. Go for it. Oh, no, I love funny Dwight he's facts. He's just so, he's hilarious. He's hilarious. Um, and so his maternal grandfather, whose surname is Mannheim. <laughs> Um, then this is on the Dwight weblog for NBC.com. Uh, they, he fought in the Second World War. He had killed 20 men before being imprisoned in an Allied prison camp. Um, it, this was implying that he was a soldier in the German army. <laughs> um, and Dwight, Dwight tells the documentary film crew that his grandfather is 103 years old and is still puttering around down in Argentina. Michael refers to Dwight's grandmother as a Nazi war criminal, <laughs> criminal at one point. Dwight's father and grandfather are also named Dwight Schrute. However, his Amish great-grandfather was named Dwight Schrute, which is extremely different name than Dwight Schrute. So different. Madeline said sarcastically. In, in Casino Night, Dwight reveals that the tuxedo he is wearing is one that his <laughs> grandfather was buried in. So it's some confusing yeah. narratives. It's possible that this is the same grandfather that was reburied in the episode Old Oil Drum. Um, so there's just a lot of... Especially because there's this whole idea of like, so, so Dwight's maternal side of his family, like somewhere along the line, met the Amish father side of the family. Something, yeah. Something, you know, so it's very nonsensical. It is. It is nonsensical. I don't know that Nazis would want to hook up with Amish people, but. Probably not. And there's like this, but, but the theme, I guess, is that his family is one of legend. So there's all these big stories. That's the power and the. Uh, yeah, his his family came to the United States. In case anyone's wondering, on a U boat. <laughs> um, that's I don't think any of this is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says that when he's competing with another coworker yes. for Angela's affection. Yeah. Um, because that coworker said his people came to the U.S. on the Mayflower. So Dwight says his people came on a U boat. So you know, do with that what you will. Um. Yeah. Another Dwight Schrute tradition that has confused him sexually, I'm afraid, forever is a a male has intercourse with a woman. He's rewarded with a bag of wild oats (laughs) that are left on his doorstep by his parents. Um, Yeah. And I think they're Mennonite or Amish. There's no there's no wild oats tradition, I don't think, Mm -mm. um, in those sexual relationships. (laughs) But but, you know, Dwight explains that as being a big part of his youth. He also speaks German, um, but he claims that his German is pre-industrial and mostly religious. So when he's reading copy machine instructions, there's a lot of religious undertones that don't help you put a copy machine together. Um, Oh, yes, here it is. He's shunned from four to age four to six. So talk about not getting your needs met. Oh, poor kid. Yes. Yeah. And then there's a Shakespeare meme floating around the Internet with a picture of Dwight that says, All the world's a stage. And Dwight answers, False. The world is a terrestrial planet in the solar system of the Milky Way galaxy, approximately 70% of which is covered by saltwater oceans. So that just speaks to how literal and concrete yes. he is. And then we'll move on to Michael. So the origin of Michael Scott is fascinating and kind of helps him fit really well with Dwight. Um, Michael kind of has a neglected childhood Yes. that sort of focuses on... His image. Yes. Um, 
and I believe his father had left their family, and his mother remarried his to stepfather Disney. Jeff. whom he despises yeah so like a parallel of Dwight and Michael's childhood is that both of them didn't get their needs met but how that like how they went around getting their needs met were very different so for Dwight it's about rules following rules and rules instead of trust and for Michael was more of a um if I'm a joker or a comedian then people won't see how much pain I'm in so if I'm the funniest guy and the most handsome guy and the most liked guy then no one's going to feel this horrible amount of shame that I have inside. Mm-hmm. So which actually, when we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about it again, when you talk about Michael um, outside of the humor of who his character is, he's actually quite tragic and really sad, yeah. more so than Dwight. If you talk about resilience, I think Dwight has way more resilience than Michael does. Yeah. Um, so he was just a little background on Michael. So he was also born in Scranton and... Um, his birthday is March 15th, 1964, as we saw in Michael's birthday and on Dream Team. And he was a very lonely child, it says. And there's a um, really good episode where he talked about, um, I think he got to be on a television show. And did he, I might be yes. mixing stories up, no, but then that's it. he gets on a television show, but he forgets what he's going to say. And he's wearing a little suit. He's wearing a little suit, so he looks really cute. And then is that where he pees his pants? Well, he pees or, his pants at his at his at Jeff and his mom's wedding. That's right. Walking down the aisle, I think. Yeah. Yes. And remarks that the the dog took his place as ring bearer. Yes. And his comment is the dog peed everywhere. Peed every, yeah, yeah. It's not a direct quote, but no. something to the effect of his dog peed everywhere. Yes. And nobody complained about mm-hmm. that, but Michael peed. So he's kind of, it's kind of sadly saying, like, his childhood was, like, yeah. not as good as the family dogs. No. no. Like, that's... <laughs> he, and here, I actually have it. So it says on, it was your episode, Take Your Daughter to Work Day. Michael makes the claim he was a child star. Okay, this mm-hmm. is coming back to me. On a kid's show called Funda Bunda. However, it becomes clear that he simply appeared on the show as one of the many guest children who usually watched from home. In the old record being played, he speaks touchingly about what he wanted when he grew up to get married, have hundreds of kids so he could then have a hundred friends and none of them could say no to being his friend. Yeah. So he doesn't think he, I mean, his child. worth. He has no self-worth. No. And he doesn't, he doesn't think he can get anybody to do anything Mm -hmm. without forcing them to, which is the same theme Dwight has, but Dwight does it through like rules and power. And Michael kind of does it through humor and manipulation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, So Michael basically became an extremely effective salesman. So despite all of these things, he becomes a salesman and is very good at it. So he becomes a very good salesman and gets promoted to becoming the manager. But he's actually very ill-suited because Michael deeply wants everyone to like him. And, you know, when you're a manager, you have to make decisions that people get pissed about. And so this therein lies part of part of it is his relationship then with Dwight, who he will make Dwight often do or Dwight volunteers, frankly, because of the rules to do some of Michael's dirty work. And the episode I remember very, very clearly in season one is the health insurance, where Michael doesn't want to have to pick the health insurance. So he has Dwight vet everybody. And then like, of course, HIPAA's violated all over the place because Michael, and it lets Dwight pick it. And then when everyone gets mad, he scapes go Dwight and says, well, Dwight picked the health insurance. It wasn't me. Yes. Um, yeah. So he um, is very, um, he wanted to, oh yeah, so the reason Michael tells Ryan he became a salesman is because he loved to make friends and after being promoted to regional manager at a young age, continued to, work, to treat work-related relationships as personal friendships, which he acknowledges is more difficult because his colleagues are lower than him in the workplace's hierarchy. He seems to have few relationships outside the office. In his interactions with other characters, he is shallow, callous, ignorant, and unaware of basic social norms. So him and Dwight have things in common. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to overestimate his own importance in the eyes of his co-workers and cannot understand why they do not seem to have much fun at work, huh? Yeah. as he believes an office to be the place where dreams come true. However, Michael is somewhat loyal to the company and honestly tries to help his employees when he thinks they're having a problem. Um, just a couple more examples of his attention-seeking behavior. His constant desire to be the center of attention um, is manifested being very selfish. And so one of my favorite episodes of all time is the injury where he burns his foot on the George Foreman grill because he likes the smell of bacon in the morning. Um, And when he's on the phone with Pam and can't decide, no one wants to go pick him up because it's not a serious injury. Dwight hears this, says, I'm coming for you, Michael. Michael says, don't send Dwight. Dwight gets in the Thunderbird and gets a concussion. Yes. And then, it, and then Michael makes it all about him. He makes it but all about him. There's a lot of themes of attachment in there. Yes. So, like, the only character who really loves at this point in the yes. show and wants to go save Michael is the one that 
that Michael sort of punishes him because exactly. he doesn't think he's worthy of real love. Right. So like that's that's an attachment issue. Like yeah. that screams attachment there. So um, some other very funny antics happen in the injury where where Jim is taking now Dwight actually has a concussion. There's so there's so much that happens in that episode. We could spend two hours talking about just that episode. But Jim is spraying Dwight and Michael in the face because they're in Meredith's van with water bottles because they're being so stupid. <laughs> Yes, like a cat, like, like kitty training, kitty and doggy training. Yeah. So, um, oh, funny. He, another narcissist, sort of. Nar- I'm going to talk about later. Is narcissistic, a very selfish point of view, center of attention. Is he assumes that he gets to walk Phyllis's dad down the aisle, um, and then the elderly father tries to walk, and Michael tries to sit him down, and then he walks, and then the attention is taken away from Michael. Mm-hmm. And Phyllis is not a relative of Michael's. No. If you, you have it's to a watch co-worker. This. Like, yeah. So, I mean, this again goes to the boundaries that you speak of. This would be completely inappropriate if your boss, you were getting married, Madeline, and your boss decided to walk your elderly father down the aisle yeah. over any other pretend, you know, relative or friend you have. Right. And didn't ask. And just decided. Just decided. Yeah. And Phyllis basically did it. So what I remember Phyllis saying is, she's like, he gave me a month off for my honeymoon, so I agreed to this. But this goes to manipulation and poor boundaries mm-hmm. that this happens. So then he gets banned from the reception, and then he's pouty. Um, Michael does appear to emphasize moments of sympathy or civility directed at him by his coworkers, mostly Jim, and inflates their importance in order to compensate for his loneliness. Yes. Um, and he has a very interesting relationship with Jim because Jim is like the cool guy mm-hmm. um, and Jim has a secure attachment base. So I think he's drawn to Jim, but then again, in his own ineptitude, doesn't understand why. And then, but will compete with Jim when Jim starts to move into positions of power. Yes. Oftentimes to his own detriment. Yes. And that, um, that sort of makes me think of when clients talk about clients specifically with a sort of either social kind of deficits or attachment injuries talk about kind of being on the outside. Like people with secure attachment look like the others. They sort of look like an unattainable goal. Um, Like you can't, it, they report it looks like they can't have a safe relationship with them. And that's what Michael kind of, you know, Michael manipulates Jim a lot or tries to, because it's almost like he thinks he'll never be good enough for Jim, the secure, securely attached adult. Um, but he is. It's he okay. is. And like it sometimes it backfires. Like so much of the comedy at the on the office is about Michael's plans, manipulative plans, backfiring and then him trying to weasel his way out of it. And it's just I think that's the brilliance of the office is the with the humor. This could have been a drama no one would have watched because it had been so depressing. Right. Watching Michael. But there's something about the way I think Steve Carell plays him that makes him a very interesting and funny character mm-hmm. even though it's so I mean the first two seasons in particular like I I would cringe watching it because it'd be so inappropriate it gives you that sort of sick to your stomach feeling of like oh this is a huge brown boundary violation oh god he didn't oh he oh he did ask her oh no you know yeah you feel so bad for the guy yeah um and but then it's interesting to note that Jim doesn't give up no he, right. he doesn't try really, but he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't abandon. No. He sticks by both Michael and Dwight's yeah, right. side, yep. essentially, for a, you know, most of the show. Right. I mean, eventually he does grow out of he does. the office, but he he's a consistent, yeah. almost therapist for the two of them. Right. So. A couple other tra- uh, traits that Michael has. He's very irresponsible with his finances. Um, he... Uh, you know, he has doesn't have a lot of common sense. He's often uh, he can withstand significant abuse from his peers and is often the butt of jokes. Um, but then, very takes offense very quickly when he realizes he's been harmed. He will also make fun, and a lot of times it's inadvertently make fun of his coworkers way more, and then gets upset when he's called out on it, and then can't deal with the shame around that. Um, and he might overcompensate for yes. it too. So he gets in trouble at one point for um, Phyllis is, is like a very curvy, you know, beautiful character mm-hmm. in the show. And he makes a lot of weight comments yep. and and he gets in trouble for the weight comments that are made um, between him and the salesman on the road, Todd Packer. <gasps> and he's at first very resistant to his emails being, you know, called sexual harassment. Yeah, sexual yeah. harassment. You know, he's yeah. very resistant but then when he comes around, he overcompensates, mm-hmm. and then he's like hitting on Phyllis and uh, hugging her yeah. because he feels bad about right. the weight and the sexual harassment comments. But he, yeah, he yeah. overcompensates. Then yeah, 
Here's another one in the meeting. This shows his manipulative nature. And in the show, in the episode, the meeting, it's shown that Michael does not aim at his employee's betterment or his own, thinking that this would put his job at jeopardy. He unwittingly turns on a promotion that would put Jim in his position, choosing the status quo over his employee's ambitions and sabotaging Jim with a bad recommendation because he mistakenly believes that Jim's promotion to his job would lead to his firing. He does, however, concede to a co-managerial position with Jim to avoid losing him. So that's a perfect example of like him also, the insecurity yeah, that lies there and these assumptions that are made and really like at all costs, the status quo needs to be maintained and I need to be top dog, even jeopardizing what that would have meant for him. Yeah. And the relationship. Yeah. And what's what's funny, I think, about that, too, is that um, like Jim doesn't tell Michael about the meeting. Yeah. And that's a lot of times the experience of sort of healthy attachment styled mm-hmm. people in the lives right. of their attachment injurious co-workers yes. <laughs> is like um jim's experience is that if i tell michael he'll ruin it if yes. i don't tell him he ruined it anyway yes so i can't i can't manage the boundaries with this person no. well and it's a double bind so like that's what's interesting when you say that is like jim can't tell him what the meeting's about but yep. jim can't not tell him what the meeting's about because he's screwed either way and he was yep in some ways um, so, you know, man, Michael's management style is that uh, he lacks a lot of skills. Jim says he spends his time 80% distracting others, 19% procrastination, and 1% critical thinking, and added that he's inflated the critical thinking percentage so people could actually see it on a graph. Yes, that's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so there's not a lot of work that gets done. Um, there's an episode, you know, there's just so many things where you can see that productivity is not important to Michael. Um, and he often scapegoats employees to cover his own issues or, or um, lack of skills. Um, and then believe it or not, despite his incompetence, Scranton performs better than anybody. And so then they try to figure out what is ma- like Michael's magic potion for doing that. And they can't really figure hit, figure that out. And, and what does he say? He says... <laughs> I am not, it's not a quote because I'll get it wrong, yeah. but he says the secret to their success is to never do anything to anybody ever <laughs> at any time for any reason. That's awesome. Which is really good managerial advice. Very good. So a couple of things, like a couple of things to think about Michael. So I've said a lot of bad things. So I'm going to give some good things is despite his apparent ineptitude, Michael is prone to brief bouts bouts of surprising insight and is shown to have a kind heart as he shows deep family-like affection towards most of the people working for him with the exception of Toby. Um, he, in in an episode broke, he displays self-awareness of his inability to keep secrets when he, Pam, and Ryan all agree to not let Dunder Mifflin know that Michael Scott Paper Company is broke, yet moments later he is seen bent over in near panic when he admits he's afraid he won't be able to keep himself from letting the truth slip. He also displays remarkable ability to negotiate with Dunder Mifflin and convince the company to hire himself as well as Pam and Ryan back with full benefits. Um, in the business school episode, it was really sweet. He's one of the only employees to show up at Pam's art gallery um, showing and hugs her. He marvels at her work and asks to buy Pam's drawing of their office building. In a moment of sincere kindness, Michael tells Pam he's very proud of her. And this is like a shining moment mm-hmm. Michael she begins to tear up and hugs Michael who also seems by um, touched by Pam's reaction so so he has moments that are redeeming mm-hmm yes and then he also so despite all of this inflated sense of self he doesn't do this goes to his insecurity and lack of self-worth in an episode he finds out that he's only making a slightly more money than um, is it uh, Daryl then Daryl is the foreman the foreman and so then they go to New York, even though he's been with the company for 14 years. So then it's actually a really another one of their best episodes. So the two of them drive to New York to demand a raise, it's, which is really great. Um, so his relationships, he, you know, he tends to overestimate his importance to his employees, and, but has a close bond with them. Um, they've been the butt of his jokes from one time or another. Um, you know, he's gotten slapped by Kelly for being a racist, hit Meredith with his car, gotten kicked out of Phyllis and Bob's wedding, and outed Oscar to the entire office without his permission. Mm-hmm. Um, but are also, and this goes to the secure attachments of most of the office workers, they tend to be very forgiving of Michael's mm-hmm. shortcomings. Um Yes. And the last thing I would say with him is he initially, you can tell, and Pam, this is really apparent with Pam, she really dislikes Michael in the first few seasons mm-hmm. and eventually comes to warm up to him and they become friends. Um, 
and so she they eventually develop a very genuine friendship and that's come I think of all the relationships his comes the furthest with Pam she really warms up to him yeah. as she gains more confidence because that's where she is not a secure like not she's a very insecure sort of fly on the wall and I think is overwhelmed by Michael a lot mm-hmm. and as her relationship with Jim blossoms and she begins to feel better about herself she becomes more assertive thereby tolerating Michael's bullshit more and calling yeah. him out on that stuff. And I think he appreciates that whether he knows it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's yeah. interesting as she becomes a mother, she yeah. sort of, her skills for managing mm-hmm. Michael are, become more maternal. They start off as, as very, um, he doesn't really respect her. He, he almost hits on her. He jokes about bathing with her. And then as she oh, becomes yeah. more confident, like yeah. you said, then then their friends, their colleagues, yes. he respects her interests. Yes. He promotes her. And then by the end, she's, you know, she's sort of a mentor to him in mm-hmm. some odd ways. Yeah, yeah. And there are a couple of crowning episodes, like the episode, the last, it's the season finale where um, Jim goes to New York and they all interview and she runs, Pam runs through the fire, you know, and like she, he basically is like, you're going to take notes about everything instead of getting to participate in these team building mm-hmm. exercises. He doesn't even believe she's capable of becoming the general manager of the store, of the, of the, um, office, of, yeah. of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that slowly turns around, but also that he, with his relationship with Jan, he somehow insinuates that the two of them had had an affair because in the dinner party, Jan's like, well, I know that the two of you were together. And so now yes. Pam is worried that Jan is going to poison her food because of their alleged affair. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Michael crosses Pam boundaries and yep. when he's in a relationship with Jan, yep. alludes to sex with yes. Pam. Yes. So. So one of the things that I had wondered about Madeline, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that Michael tends to meet the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder and uh, Jan is so talking about a different, very dysfunctional relationship is Jan is a histrionic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And those two types tend to be attracted to each other. Yes. And Jan starts as his boss and they have an affair and then she becomes, Bad she gets boundaries. fired from her job and they become lovers and they live together <laughs> um, in a condo with a small flat screen television and a beer sign. Yes. It ties their whole room together. Yes, it does. Babe. And, and god awful carpet. Babe. Says. Snip, snap, snip, snip. Yes. Um, so, so, yeah. So, there's a great quote that Michael, I think, encompasses this idea of whether he has a narcissistic personality disorder. I want all of the glory and none of the blame. And so we can look at the criteria in the DSM. <laughs> don't we all, Don't Julia? we all? We really do. I mean, that's why all of us have threads of all of these personality yes. disorders, because we all want the glory and none of the blame. Um, but, you know, let's tick these off. He has a grandiose sense of self-importance. He exaggerates his achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. I'm the world's best boss. He's preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, ideal love. He believes he's special and unique and should only associate with other special and unique people. And we see that a ton in the office. His love affair of with Ryan, you know, wanting to be like Ryan and hipster and cool when they go to New York. Mm-hmm. And the and goatees. Doing, and the the go- matching goatees. Yes. Yes. Ryan, what happened to your goatee? Mm-hmm. I shaved it. Yeah. And then Michaels goes yeah. away. Um, requires excessive admiration has a sense of entitlement, um, let's see, is interpersonally exploitative, taking advantage of others, which we've talked many times, he did that to Dwight many, many times, and then also lacking empathy. So here's the crux. So is unwilling to recognize or identify the feelings and needs of others. So he, and you don't need all of these, so you only need how many? What is it, like five of the seven or something? I, th- I can't remember exactly, um, but yeah, you need a you oh, need, you need over fifty percent of yep. the traits to qualify um, for a narcissistic narcissistic personality yeah. disorder. Uh, is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her, and mm-hmm. then showing arrogant, haughty behaviors. They have so narcissists have an elevated sense of self worth that they value themselves as inherently better than others, when in reality they have a fragile self esteem, cannot handle criticism, and often try to compensate for this inner fragility by belittling or disparaging others in an attempt to validate their own self-worth. Mm-hmm. So comments and criticisms about others are vicious from sufferers of NPD mm-hmm. in an attempt to boost their poor self-esteem. So, And they do, they do through treatment or just through like the torture that is their mm-hmm. lives sometimes report depression too, which definitely. is also part of Dwight 
and Michael's yes issues. Is yeah, there's like some underlying themes of sadness, loneliness, yeah. and depression. I think what's hard is when I've worked with the narcissist, narcissist, narcissist. I can't say it because we're podcasting with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. Go. I'll call it NPD. When I've worked with that directly or indirectly. Um, I get it. Like in Julia, I'm sure you do mm-hmm. too. Like a sense that it it's not gonna change. No. Um, it's and and oftentimes as soon as you empathize or find the unmet need or the lost attachment yep. injury, you kind of get punished for finding yes. it as a therapist. And yep. when it, I mean punished, I mean like maybe a no showing client mm-hmm. or if they're part of a family in treatment, they don't come the next yep. time or they punish the fam. Like you get some sort of backlash and with. Michael, when he asks for it, for the help or the support yep. emotionally, and he's ready for it and he gets it, yep. he doesn't punish people. Exactly. Except for Dwight. Except for Dwight. <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk more about like Dwight, their relationship, but I agree. So like, I struggle with this because I don't think he has it, even though I literally just ticked off everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Excuse me. Like... I did, but it's that piece of it, and it's those moments where we see growth in Michael, particularly with Holly. And, I, you know, I was just sitting here as you were talking going, well, would Holly have a personality disorder? I don't think she does. No. And Holly is the HR very, director of Nashua Branch. Yes, she's one. very, very grounded. She's quirky and odd, but she's a grounded person, and mm-hmm. she doesn't have those behaviors because she has good boundaries for the most part. Um yeah. Their PDA episodes were very funny mm-hmm. where they had no boundaries. But he then becomes a better person because of her. And so that's where if he was truly narcissistic, she would have ended the relationship with him because he wouldn't have been able to show any change. And I think mm-hmm. what was really telling in his ability to have empathy and to make another person happy mm-hmm. is the proposal where he had so much thought into proposing to her with the candles in the office. Like, this is the first place I, you know, we met. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he goes through the whole office sharing all of those moments they had together. And a person with narcissistic personality disorder would not have been able to do that that way that well. Right. Like, it would have all been about him. Yeah. But they, he they really made it about her. Right. Yeah. So. And... And certainly people with NPD do can do a lot of masking where they appear to be thinking of other people um, or they sort of appear to be meeting needs and yeah. there's sort of a like a grooming period kind of where oftentimes their romantic or couple partners will report that like things weren't like this in the beginning. They were so nice to me. They figured out everything I wanted. But they also report that they felt like they were kind of a commodity. Like they did yes. everything I wanted to carry That's me on their perfect, shoulder. Yes. And yeah. that's and Holly's not a commodity. No. She's actually kind of, um, she is so has so much humanity. Yeah. To her and Michael, even at one point when she has to move away before the proposal episode, mm-hmm. lets her go, and he could have sabotaged the whole company picnic yes, because they couldn't be together. But yeah. he lets her go and says, "When the time's right, exactly, we'll be back together." And those brief moments of insight and clarity tell me that he, that some of this is just for you know for the comedy of yeah. the show. You know, I yeah, mean, that's what we're doing with this podcast. But he would not have been if he was written differently. He would have sabotaged along the way, and she would have eventually gotten sick of his crap and broken up with him. That's true. And yes. then he would have probably stayed with Jan actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, the office is funny. Um, people who actually have employers with NPD, it's not fun. No. They don't have fun with it. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't think, so, my boss is narcissistic. Our work environment is great. We don't get anything done, but we play pranks on each other and stuff. It's not yeah. like that. No. So the, the office is funny, but some people have told me it's uncomfortable for them to watch because those situations have been real for them yeah. at one point or right. another at work. And they don't think they don't think it's funny Mm-mm. because it's it's too real. Yeah. So it's it's good to be like the voyeur or the observer mm-hmm. of Michael, but I think I, I don't I can't say if he's not Steve Carell and I'm not observing yeah. him and I interacted with him regularly, I I don't that would be pretty hard to deal yeah, with. Yeah, and I mean that's and then that's where it's reality would be there'd be a lot of turnover and people would leave because, you know, Phyllis being told she's fat all the time and he would be fired from his job mm-hmm. because of his inappropriateness. I mean, it would just, it would know, be, it would, it would be a terrible place to work. Yeah. And Jim would not be able to get away with 
you know, constantly putting Dwight's stapler in jello and things like mm-hmm. that. So, and I have one other, one other yes. thing that happened, um, after the lost episode, mm-hmm. that means it's so in Dante's Inferno, I don't know if there's a connection, but okay. in Dante's Inferno, there's a character I learned since named Michael Scott. And in the original, and I don't know, I don't know if there's any connection. There's probably no connection. I didn't explore it at all, so I don't know. But I thought what was funny is that this character, I think it's like in, I don't remember which circle, I think the seventh circle of hell. And it's, it's where magicians and comedians lay. So I have no idea if that's where the name came from. It probably didn't. Maybe our listeners could tell us. They could. But yes. it's just funny to me that, that these things that we think are funny that sort of also make us our, our stomachs a little sick, mm-hmm. they do in like ancient sort of, not ancient, but, you know, old literature have a home, yeah. a place of double bind. Like that's really funny because it's not me, but if it was me, I'd be sick. Right. That sort of comedic oh gosh, discomfort Madeline. and deadpan. So I don't know. I don't know. Someone tell me if that's if that character. Because yeah. Michael Scott also is a magician in the show. So, and a comedian. So I thought that was funny. That's funny. Yeah. So in therapy with these two, we'd have yes. to do a lot of family of origin work. Um, would you do that, because you're the, you're the active therapist right now, would you do that individual or as a couple? So I think I'd want to see them together first, mm-hmm. um, so long as they weren't abusive to one another, to get a feel for what the pattern is. Okay. Um, because there's some really distinctive patterns mm-hmm. in the way they interact with Michael sort of being charismatic, Dwight chasing him for attention, um, Michael rejecting him until he needs his help, receiving Dwight's help, and then rejecting him again. Mm-hmm. So it's like pursuer-distancer relationship. Um, and the therapist, you know, that I'd send them to, Dr. Sue Johnson, <laughs> she, so if you'll, you'll learn about, like, um, in MFT school, students listening, um, you'll learn about um, emotionally focused couples therapy. And Susan Johnson and her colleagues in Ottawa, Canada, um, at the center there, they offer educational courses and training to mental health professionals on emotionally focused therapy, but there's also emotionally focused couples therapy. I don't know how that would go. I think they'd have to work on their sort of family of origin injuries, their attachment injuries and their rejections and get their needs met. But I think, yeah, I think if you started, I agree with you, you start the first couple of sessions with them together so you see that partner work, but I think to really feel like Dwight would be safe to work on family of origin, Michael would have to be out of the room. They'd have to be alone, yeah. And then to get Michael to really talk, he would not, because, I mean, the amount of entertaining and and stuff he's going to do, and Mm -hmm. that could take a long time, like Dwight being rule-bound might be very compliant in therapy Mm -hmm. because he's going to want to impress you. Michael, yeah. on the other hand, is going to be terrified of getting in touch with his feelings. So you're going to have the comedian on your hands for mm-hmm. a long time, possibly. Yeah. Or he might just like blow up and right. come back. Yeah. Right. So with Unless Michael, he knew what he was going to get out of it. Right. And and he's hard. He'd be hard to build a relationship mm-hmm. with, I think, because he would want you to like him. But as soon, but as a therapist, you build a relationship, the client likes you, so you can work on their issues. And as soon as Michael figured out, like he does with Toby, the HR director, that it's a counseling session, as soon as he (laughs) figured that out, the therapist is in trouble. So you'd you'd have to do some, a lot of calming techniques, Mm -hmm. and you'd have to sort of join his script. So he'd have to see you as fitting into his life somewhere. You'd have to have some cool common interest, like magic, for example. Yeah, yes, you'd need that, like, however you would join... A kinship, yeah, which is interesting because mm-hmm. with narcissistic personality disorder, you I think they call it a twinship mm-hmm. where you don't directly criticize or critique the client until you're seen as in, as close to what they can see you as, as sort of almost an equal other, mm-hmm. and you sort of match up the parallels in your life to bring their defensives down and calm them down, yeah. and they have to see you as worthy, which is really, really mm-hmm. challenging. Um Take yes. a lot of self care for the therapist. You have mm-hmm. to do a lot of taking care of yourself outside of yes. sessions to work with this population mm-hmm. cons- on in an ongoing way. Um, but so that's what I think you'd have to do with Michael is form sort of a partnership, mm-hmm. and you might have to phrase it as like, you know, Dwight is a as a really helpful relationship for you, and he needs your help. Yes, <laughs> because you know he, he's he's helpful. He helps mm-hmm. you with your burnt foot, Michael. And he needs your help for his self-esteem. So how can we work together to help Dwight yeah. so that he can keep 
fixing yes. your ailments. Exactly. Yep. So in emotionally focused therapy, you'd use empathic responsiveness. So the, the therapist would create safety doing that. Um, and the goal would be to guide partners into this responsiveness with each other. So resolve would be tender um, with the young and compassionate. And with the aged, it would be sim- sympathetic and striving and tolerant. And and so you'd be ex- sort of accepting, I guess what that means is you'd accept um, clients where they're at. So you'd accept people, I think they mean young, compassionate, and with the age, sympathetic and striving. Um, you're matching them where they're at. So whatever generation they're in or whatever place they're coming from, you match them. Nothing is weak or wrong. Um, and everything is sort of accepted. So you, you validate the emotion. So, Michael, I understand why it's very challenging, <coughs> irritating. Mm-hmm. Can we work together? That's you're creating an alliance um, to main, to manage this relationship. And maybe you wouldn't say annoying or irritating because that's a weakness. Right. <laughs> so you'd have to pick a different way to mm-hmm. do it. Um, and then you'd work slowly together to sort of restructure their pursuer, Dwight, distancer, Michael yes. relationship. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think... The emotion is seen as a target or agent of change rather than something painful that you have to get rid of, which Michael would struggle with, but also might be really good for him. Because, Michael, that emotion is so great. It's so profound. You're brilliant to have that to have that emotion. Let's use feelings. The feeling that you're having of emotions is the most is incredible. I haven't seen anyone feel that emotion the way you're feeling it right now. And let's use it to fuel. Your yes. greatness. Yes. <laughs> so, to be to be better a better uh, partner to Dwight, a yes. better friend, a better, better friend, friend to Dwight, Dwight, who's got who's lonely. He needs he needs and your wonder, guidance. He does, and I wonder too with Michael if you could do some of that, like that lonely kid you felt, those hundred friends. That's what Dwight wants mm-hmm. when he seeks you out. Mm-hmm. You are worth a hundred friends to worth, Dwight Schrute. That's right. This is the best ever, Julia. <laughs> I, so good. I so wish they were real. I know. But it's it's kind of great that they're I not know. real people. They're just, they're fascinating yep. to us. So, so so in sum, what would you think would be a goal for Dwight? So, if, so Michael mm-hmm. and Dwight come into therapy and they're like, okay, we want to improve our relationship. And the two of them go, you know, talk about each other's shortcomings and things. And like, I think a goal for Dwight, which would be hard for Michael, would be that Dwight would set better boundaries with Michael. So I'm talking like mm-hmm. base sort of basic goals to start with would be like yeah like Michael and Dwight how could how could Dwight take care of you Michael without you making Dwight feel bad mm-hmm. so that would yeah. be like their homework yeah or it could be like maybe you could do Dwight you have to do one thing for yourself by yourself <gasps> yes a week maybe yeah um and he does like when he goes home, he's got his beet farm, right? But he takes care of Moe's, his yes. cousin, yeah, at home too. Who he sort of insinuates is inept, like that yeah. he can't live without Moe's. Is barely functional without Dwight. But yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's what Dwight. Dwight needs like one thing a week, yeah, that he does just for himself, just for himself. And yeah, I wonder if yeah. you said to Dwight, you need to to be kind to yourself. So what would that look like in a week? And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he would, he'd say. He'd, that's that's fluff for the week. That's right. That's that's what Dwight would say. Right. So I or wonder. Or he'd be like, "I will take care of Michael." That's how I'm kind to myself. Mm-hmm. Is to leader. serve the great Michael. Yeah. You know, and then Michael. It'd be funny to be like Michael. It would be impossible. To be like for one day. Also, we need you to have better boundaries with your coworkers. Yeah. So for one day, could you not sexually harass somebody? <laughs> See how how many tallies, sexual harassment tallies can Let's we? Let's try to go from 10. Let's try to reduce this week to five. Yeah, or eight. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably start with eight. Yeah. Just funny. two. Like, think of those two times in your day that you're like, I almost sexually harassed Phyllis, but I stopped myself. But I stopped. Even though she is irresistible, I stopped yes. myself. Yeah. And I almost outed Oscar. But I stopped myself. Yeah, like, that's true. And for Dwight, maybe Julia would be like a competition. So like yeah. with a therapist. So and mm-hmm. and we've we've done this before in our yes. work. Like, um, so Dwight, I'm gonna try and do two things that mm-hmm. are just about me this week. You are the superior human if you can do three. So I think that so for I the sake it. of beating the person yeah. and proving he didn't need to do it, I think he'd he would do it. Yeah, so you'd co opt that. That'd be a good strategic Yeah. Uh, so strategic not family therapy. No, that would actually some of those paradoxes would be really good for both of them mm-hmm. to kind of circumvent that. So, well, I think we've solved 
Yes. They're really fun to talk about. They are. They are really great. Made up people. Made up people. Yes. I miss watching that show. I'm always excited when it's on TV. Get mm-hmm. to watch it again. Think about how great it is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we are Couch of Characters. I'm Julia. And I'm Madeline. Um, if you want, you can find us at couchofcharacters at gmail.com. You can shoot us an email, especially we're looking for other people to podcast about. So send us your ideas. You can also tweet us at Couch Characters and let us know what you think. Um, feedback is always great, as well as. Uh, more people and then look forward to seeing us another episode here hopefully in the next month thanks for listening thank you bye Madeline bye Julia